Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, being recorded in the beautiful Hilton Garden Inn, Warner Robins, Georgia. Most of us have seen the movie Sleepless in Seattle. I recently spent four days there, and it was a blast. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Hello and welcome. I happen to be partaking in a actually tasty Tropicalia IPA from Creature Comforts of Athens, Georgia, from Creature Comforts Brewing. So since I am in Georgia and I always say drink local, pick this up at the local Publix. And again, it's out of Athens, Georgia. And Athens is also home to Terrapin, which makes one of my all-time favorite beers, Hopsecutioner and as well as a bunch of others. We're fortunate enough to have access to Terrapin through Publix down in the Orlando area. So I had a recent last-minute trip to Seattle, which required flying out on a Sunday morning because I had a Monday morning meeting and then flying back home the following Friday night. And due to the finances and geographics involved, there were no direct, air quote, affordable air quote, direct flights from Orlando to Seattle. And I don't even know if if the sky was the limit on finances, if I could have found anything, honestly. The best I could do was come up with a Southwest flight leaving Orlando that gave two stops and only one plane change. So not bad, especially coming out of Orlando. So ended up leaving Orlando around 10 a.m. Sunday morning with plans on arriving at Seattle about 6 p.m. Sunday evening. So roughly 11 hours of travel time after you factor in the time change. This trip required five days of dress clothes and other uh, sundry clothing items. So my carry-on was not going to cut it. I went to a bigger bag, which, as we all know, requires it to be checked. So right off the bat, I had broken two travel rules before I even got to the airport. I had connecting flights, and I was checking luggage. And both of those will come into play in just a little bit. So my initial leg, Orlando to St. Louis, was perfect. I had the whole row of seats to myself. There may have been 70 people on the flight. So anytime you get a whole row of seats to yourself, we call that a plane couch. So Southwest has recently enabled in-flight text messaging, which is a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> in this case, it was a bad thing. Right before landing, I get a text message, SWA flight 3153 on September 8th from St. Louis is canceled. To rebook or request a refund, call 1-800-YOUR-DAY-IS-ABOUT-TO-SUCK. So I get off the plane and immediately dial the number. At the same time, I'm walking over to the gate agent. Thankfully, there wasn't a lot of lines Typically, I always pick up the phone and start dialing the airlines while I try to wait in line because all they're going to do while you're waiting in line is you're going to be stuck behind everybody else. And hopefully, if you have any kind of status with the airline, you'll have a number that at least gets you a little quicker into the queue and hopefully gets your dilemma resolved. So I ended up making it over to one of the gate agents, Matthew, explained to Matthew about the cancel flight, and of course he begins that peck, peck, peck on the keyboard and comes back with actually pretty two decent options, right? So there was a 2.20 p.m. St. Louis to Oakland, California, 
and then a flight out of Oakland that got me into Seattle at 9 p.m. You know, not great, but at least I'm getting there because, like I said, I've got Monday morning meetings. I've got to be there. But he says, hang on, there's a second flight that leaves direct from St. Louis into Seattle that gets you in at 4.40 into into Oakland and then into Seattle at 7 p.m., so roughly an hour later than my original flight. He said, it's oversold. I'll put you on standby. I'm going to issue tickets for the 220 St. Louis, Oakland, Oakland, Seattle flight. But I'm going to put your luggage on the 440 flight. So even if you don't make the one you're on standby for and you make your original flight, your luggage will be there long before you are. Way to go, Matthew. I appreciate it. He says, you know, keep checking back in case a seat opens up on the 440 and you can get booked. It's roughly uh, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So I go and get something to eat. I've still got about four hours to kill. A few hours later, I check back, and believe it or not, and I think it's probably due to the weather. Usually the, we get nailed on the East Coast uh, on this Sunday. They happen to be having a lot of West Coast weather. So I check back, and there are actually nine open slots on the direct flight that gets me in earlier. And so I asked the gate agent. It wasn't Matthew. It was somebody else. Can you book me on it? And they said, sorry, I can't. You have to go to that gate and they can get you on. All right, so I head to the gate. I think I'm at gate 10, and this was at gate 38, of course. So I head over to the gate and explain the whole confirmed seat on the 220 flight story. I understand there's nine open seats on the 440 direct. Can I please get one of those seats? And so the gate agent goes on to explain that she can't release any of those seats until an hour before the flight. And I'm like, what? I get booked on earlier flights all the time. And I said, I can't come back. I can't come back at 3.40 because my scheduled flight leaves at 2.20, which actually ended up getting pushed back to about 3 p.m. But still, I'm not going to be here at 3.40 to check. I probably should have really pressed the issue. I probably should have got back on the phone with Southwest. And I actually went back and checked a second time and got the same answer. You know, we can't get you on there until it's about an hour before book. Okay, great. So I ended up getting on to the heading out to the <laughs> now three. It probably got pushed back to three thirty. All of a sudden, I leave St. Louis. My uh, St. Louis, my flight arrives in Oakland, California, a few hours later. Thankfully, I had another open seat next to me, which is beautiful. My uh, Southwest flight into Seattle was supposed to leave Oakland somewhere around seven p.m., arriving approximately nine ten nine fifteen in Seattle. That flight also getting del- got delayed. We did not leave Oakland until 8.30 p.m., landing in Seattle, 10.30 p.m. At this point, it has been a 15-hour travel day for me. Now, the one bright side was, or I thought, was that Matthew had put my luggage on the 4 p.m. direct flight. So I knew no matter what time I got into Seattle, if it was 10.30 or 11, at least I would have my luggage. My luggage would be there. Well, I was sadly mistaken. I walked to the baggage claim office. They had no record of my bag being on any kind of an earlier flight. But they said, don't worry. They said, we still have one more flight coming into Oakland at 1 a.m. in the morning, and we feel confident that your bag is on that flight. You know, at this point, I was so tired. I gave them the address of the hotel, told them, don't call me. I'll be asleep. Just leave the bag at the front desk. So I get over to the Marriott, probably 11.30 p.m., told the desk clerk that I would be expecting my luggage. Please don't ring my room when it arrives. Asked her if by chance if she had some 
a toothbrush and some toothpaste. And of course, I get, I don't know if you've ever seen hotel toothpaste, but it's roughly an envelope that has, I don't know, maybe an eighth of an ounce of toothpaste in it. So she was kind enough to hand me several packets of that. Uh, right around 4 a.m. Pacific time, I get an email that my bag had been delivered. And so my body believes that I'm on East Coast time. I'm pretty much already awake. I head downstairs ready to start my day. And normally when I'm traveling across time zones, as tough as it is, I truly try to stay on East Coast time. I mean, it makes it tough when people want to go out at night, but it really does take less of a toll on my body. All of a sudden, I'm up every morning roughly at roughly 3.30. I'm a good sleeper, but I have a hard time once I'm awake going back to sleep. But here's another rule. It's a, it's a good rule for life. When you're out at night for adult beverages, do not go to the third bar. I've probably talked about this before. The first bar, you're good. The second bar, you're normally safe. It's the third bar where the Jägermeister and the fireballs enter the picture. Nobody ever starts out the evening with fireballs or Jäger, right? But by the time you hit the third bar, those types of drinks suddenly become a great idea. So that if, if you're trying to cross over time zones, <laughs> try to keep that in mind. But for me, it does, it does work out. A little bit on the easier side on my body to to try to stay on East Coast time and just usually end up rolling in, you know, roughly 9 p.m., 10 p.m., which is midnight, 1 a.m. Uh, East Coast time. Beyond the gray skies, the Starbucks and the TV show Frasier, my knowledge of Seattle was limited. After four days, I had a completely new outlook. This time of the year, it, the temperature was absolutely perfect. Yes, it was cloudy at times. Um, some rain did fall. But we were waking up in the morning, and it was in the high 60s, maybe low 70s. I don't think it got, I probably didn't get much much above 80 during the day. But just perfect, perfect weather. You know, I kind of equate it to fall time in Florida. You can tell the local folks from the out-of-towners by the fact that out-of-towners carry umbrellas, right? The locals of Seattle all tend to wear North Face and Patagonia lightweight raincoats. Walking down the streets, I don't remember seeing any umbrellas up, and if they were, like I said, they were probably from the out-of-towners. And this is truly a millennial town. I don't recall seeing many retirees. Times I felt like I probably was some of the, one of the oldest people on the streets. Traffic, complete giant cup of suck, right? You know, while they appear to be an environmentally friendly town, uh, most of the cars in the downtown area only had a single occupant in them, even though we did see a lot of Teslas and a lot of hybrid-type cars. On the environmental-friendly front, every place had a multitude of crash cans. One was for plastic, one for paper, one was for aluminum, so on and so on. Uh, we ate lunch at one place a couple times, and they actually recycled the uh, the food containers. They take it truly serious. The homelessness problem is as bad as reported. Uh, we saw tent cities constructed in the median along I-5. My best guess is that some of the legalized marijuana probably plays into that. They actually, along I-5, there was, I mean, I, I would call it a tent city that each morning, we noticed it because one of the guys had a generator, and by Thursday morning that that tent city was completely gone, so somebody had come in, probably some from the city, and removed all that. So, yes, if you've watched any of the news reports, homelessness is truly an issue for those people. 
great food and great beer. We'll talk about that in a little bit. If you're into investing, throw your money into one of those companies that manufactures the little ID badge lanyards, you know, that people hang around their neck because everyone in that town seems to wear an ID badge lanyard around their neck. So just my little uh, financial tip. The hotels, especially downtown, are crazy expensive. Uh, Marriott's were $400 a night. Due to the to the high cost of rooms, they ended, ended up actually staying down by the airport, which is south of downtown. And due to the traffic on I-5, I think if I go back for business, I will probably stay on the north side of town and try to come down in that way. It just We were 16 miles away. And at times, a couple of the mornings, it took us almost an hour to get in. The city is filled with these fantastically friendly, patient people. There was so much traffic, but I don't recall ever hearing a single horn blow or honk or anything. I mean, you've got so many people on the pay-as-you-go bikes, on the bird scooters and walking that you would think with as much traffic and people in crosswalks that it would just be a constant blaring of car horns, and it's not. So it was it was, uh, it was was nice for that part of it. So when it comes to food, which it always does for me, we ended up going to a place for lunch twice, Midori Teriyaki. If you go at lunchtime, it will be packed. The first day we ended up there at right about 12.15, the line was out the door. But once we finally got in there the second day, their General South chicken is probably some of the best that I have ever had. The breading to chicken ratio weighed much heavier on the chicken side than it did on the bread side, which is always nice. Take that from a fat guy. And some of the best uh, sticky rice that I think I've, I've ever had. So Midori Teriyaki. And right next to Midori is the Market House Corned Beef. And this is a New York-style deli in Seattle. Just a hunk. It was almost too much corned beef, but it was it was blanketed by this just wonderful marbled pumpernickel. I don't know if they baked it there or they brought it in. They probably brought it in pumpernickel bread. And the guy had a nice touch on every single uh, food order. He put one of the Hydrox vanilla black and white kind of bootleg Oreo cookies. Great pickles. Great coleslaw. And another place that's just packed at lunchtime. I don't know what these guys do, you know, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if they're even open. But lunchtime, those were two great places. For evening, we ended up at, a, again, one place uh, for dinner twice. Tuta Bella Neapolitan. A, you know, this is a perfect place to wind down a long workday. If you're into craft cocktails, you'll absolutely love this place. Um, no matter what you decide for your meal, Get yourself a side of meatballs. Uh, your stomach will truly appreciate it. And really the only tap room or, or brew pub that we ended up at was a place called the Tap Room at Pike Place. And it's a great little small intimate tap house right off of Pike Place. It's perfect for people watching. They had probably a couple dozen beers on tap as well as 16-ounce cans of Washington State favorites. So I think they had your hams, your Rainier. Classic, I call them beers my dad used to drink, right? The Slits, uh, the Colt 45, <laughs> back before Miller Lite hit the airway, so to speak. So, of course, spent some time drinking local, and I'm going to have a hard time probably 
pronouncing some of these. Uh, we had a, a Bod, Bodhisattva, which was from Georgetown Brewing. This was an IPA coming in at almost 7% APV. Of course, Olympia, which I did not realize and when I was a, a teenager. I used to collect beer cans, and so living in Florida, anything that you could get out west was kind of a score. So I remember Olympia. Well, I never knew that actually Paps Brewing owned Olympia. Of course, had some Olympia. Drinking local, of course. Uh, Metier Brewing provided some grapefruit IPA. This came in, this was an IPA that came in at about 6.5% APV. Another IPA, you can notice a trend with me always, is uh, from Old Stove Brewing, the Two-Pronged Crown IPA. This was 7.1, probably my favorite IPA of the day. This was on draft. Another local is Kokanee, which is a Canadian beer from Labatt, which we, if you follow hockey, you always see the Labatt Brewing. Uh, this is kind of a, a small 5% APV. You know, I call this yard-working beer because you can drink Quite a bit of them, long as you don't dehydrate it while you're working in the yard and still manage to cut the grass in a relatively straight line. And, of course, we had to have uh, Rainier Brewing, which, again, is another Paps Brewing. It came in at 4.7. When you get to into the Olympia and the, and the Rainiers and the Kokanees, they're all good beers. To me, they're all similar. They're all lagers, so they all have that, that very lagery. I always, like I said, I call it yard-working beer because it's, it's great, or it's, you know, if you're sitting around with the guys in the driveway on the fold-up chairs, it's a perfect beer to drink during the afternoon. Nobody's going to get hammered and, and start screaming at wives or at kids. So, of course, when you're in Seattle, we did not do the Space Needle just because I had been to the Skyline Tower in Canada. I figured that the uh, the Space Needle would be a very similar experience in, unless I was eating dinner at the top of it, it. I would have a great view and have some pictures. So we did not do that, but we did spend a few hours at Pike Place, which includes a couple stops that you have to make. Of course, one of them is the public market. This is, if you remember watching um, the MTV show years ago, they had the real world was based out of Seattle. There was a lot of scenes in the public market. This is also known as a place where they throw fish. <laughs> The place offers just about everything that a great farmer's market would. They had phenomenal um, flowers. I don't know if the floral booths, I don't know if they were grown local, but there was just an env- endless variety of cut flowers. The seafood stands, and there were several of them, were just stuffed to the gills. And, of course, you know, each one of the guys had, each one of the stands had some guy out front and the uh, the orange slicker kind of making uh, small talk with everybody. They will gladly pack anything up so that it'll keep for 48 hours. No leaks, no smells, they claim. But, yes, they really do throw fish. <laughs> so, and, of course, the people are there waiting for that moment when they do. So you'll hear a lot of oohs and ahs. We saw a ton of uh, crab legs, saw a ton of, of salmon, just a, a bunch of octopus. So very variety. Everything was fresh, probably swimming in the ocean earlier in the day. Do take note, the market has a ton of stuff, but they really start closing down around 5 p.m. So kind of plan your trip accordingly. But it would be, you know, it would be a good place to spend several hours uh, on an afternoon. So, of course, the other stop that everybody has to make is the original Starbucks. There will be a line. It will be a long line. Coffee people are dedicated, right? I've always said that if you have to 
inhale while you're ordering your cup of coffee because it's a f- mocha frappa, blah, blah, blah. You really don't like coffee that much, but there will be a line. There seems to be a Starbucks on every corner, but believe it or not, I actually did a little research, is that Seattle comes in sixth on the list of cities with the most Starbucks. That number is about 133 Starbucks. New York City comes in first with 241. And thinking back to my trips to New York, I would probably agree with that. But, you know, besides Starbucks, there's all kinds of coffee shops. I mean, they are, it is definitely a coffee-centric town, so there's no shortage of you getting your caffeine fill in the morning. So another interesting fact, and we did not make it by this place, but there is a bar called the Pine Box. And so here's the story behind the Pine Box, right? They've been pouring great beer since 2012. It was built in 1923, the building, and there's a picture of it on the website. It's a beautiful building. It's a colonial-style building, vaulted ceilings, leaded glass windows. It was the part of the new expansion of the E.R. Butterworth & Sons family funeral business. So the bar itself and the majority of the tables are actually built from reclaimed oak coffin cabinets, cab, cabinets once housed downstairs for the processing. <laughs> so, so here's kind of the uh, the kicker to it is on July 31st, 1973, and if you're a, a movie buff, you'll probably recognize that date, Butterworth and Sons provided the services to the family and loved ones of Bruce Lee. Among his pallbearers were Steve McQueen, James Colburn, Chuck Norris, and uh, Lee's brother, Robert. Each year they still have an anniversary celebration on the anniversary date of Bruce Lee's death. But I, I get a kick out of the name, the Pine Box. I mean, is that not a great name for a converted funeral home into a bar? So if you ever have the chance to make it to Seattle, this was a, a work trip, so we did work a lot. I don't think you could spend four or five days in Seattle, but you know, you've got Mount Rainier close by. I mean, there is plenty of do, plenty to do. Uh, military bases, um, Wibley Islands, a couple hours north. It's a neat place. Uh, highly encourage you to to give it a consideration if you're going to be in the Pacific Northwest. Definitely worth at least spending an afternoon or so there. So there you have it. Safe travels, and thanks for listening. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.